Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 123 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. Today, I get to talk with Karen, Dan's mom. As I say early in the interview, I knew very little about Karen when I agreed to interview her, but I'm so glad I did talk with Karen today and learn about her life and her work, really, after the loss of her son, Dan. She talks a lot about how socially people just have a lack of loss intelligence. We just really don't know what to do when we're confronted with loss and grief. Karen Chaston's newest book, Demystifying Loss, A Life-Changing Philosophy, Loving Life After Any Kind of Loss, goes into this more in detail, but today we do touch on that this as well. We talk about what it means to go into a deep dive within yourself and to evaluate who you are, especially after tragic loss, like the loss of a child. I know you will appreciate hearing what Karen has to say. Again, if you are interested in sharing your story on the podcast, please email me at marcy at andysmom.com. For now, please enjoy listening to Karen, Dan's mom. Thank you so much, Karen, for agreeing to come on the Always Andy's Mom podcast. I really am looking forward to it. Thank you, Marcy. So am I. This is going to be exciting. Who knows where we're going, but we're going. I know. I was just talking to Karen a bit before we started recording that I know very little about her at all. And most of the time I have a little more background knowledge. And now we're just going to sort of be winging it a little bit because I don't know a lot. Karen reached out to me a couple of months ago and then through this pod match kind of system that I had another guest on through as well. And anyway, then I think you didn't recheck that account. And so I checked you out again and and reached out and here we are. So yep, always when we're meant to be. So here we are. That's right. That's right. And ironically, this pod match, both of my guests that I've gotten from pod match are Australian. So you are now the second Australian that I have, but you are uh, Dan's mum, and I am going to make sure that I say that uh, properly. And I don't call you a mom because you're not an American mom. You're an Australian mom. Yeah. M-U-M. <laughs> M-U-M, I should say. M-U-M. M-U-M. Yeah. Very yeah. good. All right, so why don't you start out by just telling us all about your son, Dan? Okay, so I'll probably, I don't know, I'll get emotional, but that's okay. It's really funny, isn't it? That Sometimes it hits you and sometimes it doesn't, and it doesn't really matter. So Dan, 27 he was in 2011, you know, fancy free. He he travelled a fair bit. He spent his, Australians seem to do a two-year stint. We can go to the UK and, and Europe or we can go to Canada. We get a working visa for two years and and all of my children did that, which was really, really cool. And Dan wasn't, I wasn't really sure if Dan was ever going to get there because Dan sort of never seemed to be able to accumulate a pile of money to get the, um, you know, to get the money together to go overseas. And then what happened was back in 2007, I turned 50 that year. And so, yeah, so if you want to work it out, I'm 64 now. So back in 2007... I turned 50 and I'd always wanted to go to the Greek islands. So my husband and I decided we go to the Greek islands. We'd pay for the kids to fly there They had an accommodation. They had to buy their own food. And then we flew him and his brother, Ben, who were still in Australia, to the UK. And that's where he did his two-year stint. And I'm so glad he did that because he may not have travelled. But anyway, fast forward to 2011. On the 10th of July, my husband and I, 
we woke up thinking we were going to have a lazy Sunday at home, but within moments um, I was running out at the back door looking at Dan lying literally at the back door in the fetal position, saliva coming out of his mouth. We thought he was unconscious, but, you know, the paramedics quickly arrived and we realised and they said it within seconds. I'm sorry, madam, he is dead, probably has been for several hours. Oh, my word. I know. And it was a shock, a huge shock. Yes, Dan had a habit of drinking way too much, but it, you know, alcohol was a factor in it, but we found out much later, and to be honest, I found out from him through a three-way conversation with him. He actually told me how he passed and what it was. So what had happened was he had he had been out drinking with his mates. Him and his girlfriend had gone out separately. They lived under our house, not in a Harry Potter cupboard, you know, a proper <laughs> granny flat type thing. And um, so they'd gone out separately the night before and he came home. He got home around 2.30. He had drunk way too much. But as he came home, for some reason, he left his key at home and he rang his girlfriend to say, I'll oh, just leave the key out. You know, I'll, I'll get it when I come home. So he bent down to pick the key up and he fell over. Everything shook up. But it was actually his lungs that failed him. Uh, when he went to catch his breath, he couldn't. And at the autopsy the next day, they actually said to us that if he had like been a full-on smoker for say you know 10, 12 years, he couldn't have done a quarter of the damage to his lungs. So I'm not sure. He's a twin. Who knows? Like who knows if we're born like that sort of thing. Um, he also we were also told that he had a brain tumor which was benign. We didn't know any of this, you know, sort of thing. So, so just suddenly something happened mm-hmm. that. You know, and it's it's really quite funny. Well, not funny. Ironic, I guess, is probably a better word. I was always spiritual, right? Even though at the time I was a chief financial officer of a publicly listed company here in Australia. So I was an accountant, you know, and mm-hmm. sort of accountants, you think, are very straight-laced, all this sort of stuff. Whereas I always dabbled in the spiritual side of things. I was brought up Catholic and I knew that was... Mm, and I, th- I thought the basis of it was right, but I didn't think the way that they were, I guess, spreading the word was not ideal. So I always had this spiritual side to me and I really, if from a young age, from 21, I, I have a daughter who I adopted out when I was 16. So me going to clairvoyance and people like that was my way of checking in on her to see if she was all right, to see if she was like loved and guided and all that sort of stuff. And so, yeah, so I've, I've had a quite an interesting life with my four children. Um, so as I said, Dan is a twin. His twin brother is Josh, who is now, you know, 10 years on, married with a couple of children, which is beautiful, and an older brother, Ben, and then, of course, my daughter, Kim, who is in my life. Up and down relationship, but we're getting there. Wow. It just really strikes me that it just was so sudden like that, completely out of the blue. Yeah. It's not dissimilar. I lost my son in a car accident, so that's not dissimilar in that sudden just everything is fine and then suddenly everything is not. Um, yeah. Yeah. So can you talk about that beginning, those beginning days and weeks for you yeah. and that grief journey and how it was? Yeah. Well, I, I did what I feel most people do. Let's just ignore it. Let's just keep busy and give it time and Uh just, you know, try and have everything normal because isn't that what it's all about? And it's all because what did they say? Time heals all wounds. And you think I just need to put enough time between this horrible event. It's horrible and it's terrible and I can't even imagine anything worse. But if I give it enough time, yeah, then it will get better because that's what everyone says. So yeah, so I I see what you're saying. I think you're like, let's just get through it. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. like even to the point, like this is how ridiculous it was. So Dan passed on a Sunday and then obviously Monday, so I, I you know, rang people and said, look, I don't think I'll be in for it this week sort of thing. But I went in on, so Monday we, you know, went to the autopsy and stuff like that. And so on the Tuesday morning I decided that I was going to go into work just for a couple of hours just to tidy things up, you know, to leave it in a place. But in my, and I consciously remember thinking it, I just want to go in there and I just want everyone to say what they want to say and then it's done. They don't need to bring it up again. Like that that was a conscious thought, right? It wasn't even unconscious. It was a conscious thought. Just get in, just get everyone to say it and then it's done and it's like don't bring it up, which is absolutely ridiculous in itself, you know, trying to control the situation. And there's nothing there's no control about it it just flows as you know the emotions just come and they just think so I ignored it I ignored it I did a lot of stupid things in that first 15 months a lot of a lot of things which were totally against things that I would do normally do you have some examples of things that you feel like you did yeah, well, um, okay. I have a lot of people that listen that are really early in their grief. And I think talking about the mistakes that we make is really can be helpful to people. Yeah, one of the biggest mistakes that I made was in regards to his will. Uh-huh. Okay? Now, he didn't have a will, okay? But he, he ended up being worth, believe it or not, here I am telling you, he's living at my place, he's, you know, he, you know, didn't have a lot of money, all that sort of stuff. He ended up worth, being worth 500000 Wow. Exactly. Right? And what I did was, and the reason he was worth that was because we, in Australia, we have, I think it's called... I can't remember what it's called in America. It's like your superannuation, your retirement fund. Okay. Yeah, you pay money into, right? Yeah, we pay money into Social Security, so maybe it's like that. Okay, yeah, so it's like a retirement fund type thing. So, you know, and our employers will put money into it and we can add money to it so that when you retire, you have this nest egg. Mm -hmm. But they have insurances attached to it. And because Dan had worked at all these different places, he had different super funds. So there was insurances attached to about three or four different ones, which ended up being worth $500,000. So the choices that I made in regards to that, because in my mind, I didn't want to profit from my son's death. Right. I made some silly choices in the way that that was handled. Okay. And, and that's the thing, you know, and I had a few people say to me, you need to rethink this. This this isn't logic what you're doing here. And I'm like, no, no. And I'm quite a forceful person. No, this is the way I want it. And then, of course, in the, down in the road, in hindsight, I was very silly in the way that I did things with that, mm-hmm. the way it was sort of shared. Yeah. I think that makes sense. I mean, we certainly had some insurance money after Andy's death as well and it felt kind of like blood money to me that I didn't really want anything to do with and I just still don't have anything to do with it and and honestly it just kind of sits it doesn't but he has siblings and stuff like that and you know and they yeah yeah they certainly could have used it but anyway we'll we'll leave it at that so that was that was a silly thing I did The, the biggest thing that I did was I returned to work like literally the day after his funeral I returned to work, working more, eating more, drinking more, and just carrying on. I didn't take the time to stop. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. And it's funny, you know, in all of my programs now, that's that's the thing that I do. My, My programs are the complete opposite to what I did because I did it the hard way. And I know that it's in the stopping that you actually get to take that conscious loving breath and you actually get to sit back and you go, okay, what does this mean for me now? Because life's not going to be the same anymore. No. And as much as you go, I want it back, I want it back, it's like, no, 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 it's it's not going to go back. And it's also about you realising that it is about you being different. It, it is about you honouring the fact that you will never be that same person again and maybe you're not meant to be. And that's the thing about Dan passing the way that he passed, Right. So as I said, I had a three-way conversation with him and I, and I, I went to a clairvoyant six months after he passed. That was the most incredible reading I've ever had. 
she found it so incredible that she actually said, I'm just finalising my third book. Can I please write a chapter on this reading? Um, because huh. so many things that he said, he, she just could not believe that I just went, yep, I understand it, yep, yep, yep. He said things like, I'm going camping at Easter and I'm going to win, right? So I saw her at the beginning of February. She goes, I'm, I'm, we're going camping at Easter and I'm going to win. And she goes, I have no idea what that's about. And I said, I know. So what had happened was, so Dan passed in the July and his birthday's in the March Mm-hmm. So him, him and his brother turned 27, you know, few, four months before he passed. And they had decided that, so my husband and who, who, who was their fathers, my husband and the three boys were all wanted to do the Peru, the trail in Peru. They'd been wanting to do that for years. So they tried to book in to Easter to do it, but it wasn't enough time. So they all said, well, let's go next year. And we'll do it. In the meantime, Dan passes. And they're like, oh, what are we going to do about Peru? Should we still go? And I'm going, yeah, 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 go, definitely go, sort of thing. So here I am, you know, six months after he passed and Dan's saying, I'm going, I'm going camping at Easter. So he was talking about him being on the trail with the boys and he was. Like everywhere they went, you know, there was they were in um, Cusco which is the place where you start before you go out on the trail. And these brokers kept coming up to him, have you bought this, have you bought this, you know, all this sort of stuff. And they're going, yeah, yeah, we're fine, we've got this, we've got this, we've got this. Like, And they go, oh, but come over to my shop, come and have a look at my shop. And the guy said, he, they said, oh, maybe. And he said, if you come in, just make sure you ask for me. And they go, okay, what's your name? And he went, Dan. And they mm. all went, oh, my God, here we are in Peru and we've just met a Dan. Like, how common would that name be sort of thing? Uh, Sure, it's a common name in the sort of Western world, but it's just like, oh, my God. So and then they had dreams on the trail and they just knew that he was with them the whole time. So, you know, things like that came up in the reading. There were so many things that came up. But she wrote a whole chapter on that. It was so beautiful and that's why, that's where I found so much comfort. But also in the reading, she said, oh, he's just said he severed his life by two years. She goes, what a strong word. She says, I don't think I've ever had that come up again before in a reading. And I just went, oh. And then when we found out later, so he was meant to pass at 29, not 27, okay, But if he had passed at 29, it would have been a sick Dan who passed. It wouldn't have shocked me to reassess my life, to just go, okay, what am I going to do? My dad had a stroke in 95 and he passed in 2003. And it was a very long and slow sort of decline that he had over those years. So when he passed, I wasn't upset because it was a blessing because he was only physically here. He wasn't really mentally here. He couldn't speak. All those sort of things. So it was a blessing that he actually had physically left. And Dan knew that if he had passed, like after a long illness, it wouldn't have shocked me. And I firmly believe that everything I do now is with Dan. He's in my head. He literally writes my books. He gives me everything. He's my guide. And I know that I would never have been as open to leave my corporate life and to become the person who I am today. So, yeah. I feel a little bit of that. Certainly when I do the podcast, I feel like Andy's with me and Andy's helping me, you know, just nice, isn't it? kind of there beside me. Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of nice. It is nice. Yeah. And it certainly has helped my healing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, yeah. Don't, totally. I've had, uh, you know, I've, I've been to so many places because I've been so open to following my heart instead of my head. Whereas I would probably never have done that. You know, I said I was an accountant, so I am also have that logical side to me. So it's, you know, in, but every time I follow my heart over my head, I end up with these most amazing experiences. And I also end up not only growing like mentally and spiritually, but I just broaden my horizon so much. And yeah, being more open to okay, where is this going to go? And not having to know where I'm going. So it's like us talking now. Like we were both so open to let's just see where the conversation goes. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So how long did it take you to kind of have this revelation, I would say, this change in perspective? Because you said you felt like, I mean, because you had this conversation six months in, but yet you said you made a lot of mistakes. You felt like for at least 15 that you didn't really, you know? Yeah. So, well, the universe had to actually give me another slap in the face. So what happened was the company that I was working for, started merging with another another publicly listed company. And in that process, they said to me, Karen, you're not going to be CFO in the new company, but you're going to be doing everything you're doing now, plus more, please come with us. And I just went, yeah, okay, who cares what my title is? Right. Until they gave me my contract. And I looked at it because they started going through it. I said, look, just tell me what the salary is. And they're going, oh. And I said, well, you know, at the end of the day, I know what I'm doing and you know what I'm right, doing. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yes, just tell me what the salary is. And they were very hesitant. And so I just flipped to the page and I just went, oh, so I'm going part-time, am I? And they went, don't be sarcastic, Karen. We don't like that trait about you. And I'm going, but this salary is two-thirds of what I'm currently on. And they're going, uh-huh. yeah, well, we've valued the job and this and that and all this sort of stuff. That's what it's worth. And I just went, ah. Oh. So I was really, really angry for probably about 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And then, and it was a Friday afternoon, which made it really easy. And then, and then on the Sunday afternoon, there was a work happening thing happening. And I was due to go to it. And I thought, I'm going to it because I had made my, my choice. And my boss was there and he was like, oh, I thought you'd be all angry and this and that. And I said, no, no, no. And he said, so what's your answer? And I said, oh, you'll get it in the next couple of days. I'm just, you know, working through a few things. Just got to check things out and just make sure it works. So I just checked it out to make sure that if I resigned, I would get a redundancy package and all that sort of stuff, which worked out. So it was like the universe said to me, it's time for you to leave. It's Mm -hmm. time for you to, you know, you were meant to wake up when Dan passed. You didn't. So we're going to give you this. And I know in my heart of hearts that if I had taken that job, not only would have it eaten me from the inside out, I would have felt used, abused, disrespected, the whole lot of it. So it was never going to work. And I knew that. But I know that if I stayed there, they would have sent me something else. It would have probably been some sort of disease or something else. I would have kept getting these different loss events in my life until I woke up and so I'm just grateful to say that it only took two two you know major events in my life and I had always said prior to Dan passing I had always said that the worst thing that could happen to me was for me to lose my job because I was very good at my job and Mm -hmm. I was you know like 18 months before this merger process happened, I had a Christmas email from my boss, which went on for pages and pages and pages, just telling me how valued I am, how I'm the oracle of the company, how my work ethic has spread throughout the company, all this sort of stuff. So, you know, this was a real shock when, you know, Mm -hmm. what happened, what happened. That it was the greatest gift that my former boss, who was also called Dan, believe it or not, gave to me. And he he felt so bad. He said, I, I tried to fight for you. I tried to fight for your salary. And I said, don't worry about it. I said, you gave me the greatest gift. I said, don't feel upset about it. The only worst thing I did was I had this contract, whereas I had still had to work six months after the notice period. That was another mistake I made. I should have, because everyone else that they, in that mergers process, they got through probably about five to 10 people also left, but they walked them out on the day and they did, they paid them their one month's notice. Whereas I should have made them pay me my six months notice, but they needed me. Yeah. But I, but I should have said, well, you can employ me part-time if you need me, you need to do it. But, you know, mistakes you make mm-hmm. because you're still grieving. And, you know, in in some ways I hadn't, I certainly hadn't done the deep dive. I certainly hadn't done the process that I, I did then did years later, you know, in regards to healing, completing the relationship with Dan, moving on to the next sort of thing. But I've had a lot, so many spiritual people 
have come into my life to assist me in so many ways. I have grown so much in my understanding of who we are, why we're here, what we do, to the point where I, I am not afraid of death. I actually, not that I'm in a hurry to pass, I've still got a lot I want to do, but I just know that when I do pass, I will be, you know, greeted by Dan and my dad and all my past loved ones, you know, do a life review, see, mm, miss that little opportunity, you miss that little opportunity, you know, things like that. And, you know, but I just know that I am, I'm in the process of ensuring that every relationship in my life is the most ideal relationship, especially the one with my daughter, you know. As you can imagine, adopting her out, you know, 48 years ago now, at the time it was the right choice to make. But knowing what I know now, it was the worst choice I could have ever made for not only her but also for myself. So, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That yeah. is interesting. And you talked a little bit about the fact that you've written now several books. Yes. Right? How many books have you written? I've written five book paperback books I've done four gratitude journals this is my latest one uh, yeah I I was going to ask you about that one demystifying loss there I've got demystifying loss right and yeah. I read a little bit of a um just a synopsis of that that you wrote about there being kind of 40 types of loss yes, over 40 different or losses. 40 types of loss yeah that was really interesting to me so I I wanted you to talk about that a little bit because I do think that's important it is important because most of us as as I say in the book and everything is we all have a lack of loss intelligence is probably the best way to put it because we we're not taught we're not taught about loss. We're not taught how to move beyond loss, which is ridiculous where we're taught, you know, how to love and we have so many programs around of, you know, how to improve a loving relationship, all those sort of things, especially the one with yourself. So, yeah, over 40 different loss events. Most people would think loss is death, you know, death of a loved one, a child, you know, a sibling. But, you know, there's divorce, a separation, your job loss, your health, your wealth, your pets. And in this pandemic that we've all been yeah. experiencing, you know, loss of freedom, choice, status, identity, changing work conditions, changing recreational activities, social activities, so many loss events come up in our lives and most of us just see them as change and, well, not a grief-causing situation. Moving house. Mm-hmm. It's it moving, you know, schools, moving so many things where we don't look into it and deep dive into it to actually say, this is an emotional time and honour the feelings, learn from the feelings, you know, allow them to do what they're meant to be, you know, energy, emotion, allow them to move through you. But no, we, we shove them down and we think, oh, we'll be right, just get on with it not realizing that the more that we keep shoving it down, we're just creating this pressure cooker effect that will come out in so many different ways. One of Dan's siblings is, I, I feel, has not processed. I don't feel any of, of, you know, the men, I don't think men process their emotions as well as what women do. They don't have that outlet where they can talk about it. Yeah, I think society a lot of times... Well, it makes them feel like they can't, right? I think, that, yeah. I think there are societal expectations yeah. from men that aren't there for women yeah. um, that can make it more challenging for sure. It is. And thankfully that is changing. There is more and more men's groups where they can actually mm-hmm. start to talk about it. But I can see in his body that he's carrying it. He's carrying yeah. the grief. And, and it's like, you know, but as much as I bring it up and try to help him, it's like, stop, you know, sort of thing. So I'm just hoping that, you know, Dan can get through to him to help him because we use all of these avoidance tactics. Like the world is full of avoidance tactics, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Just got to look around. Social media, you know, food, alcohol, drugs. Shopping is even called retail therapy. Like seriously, you know, there's it's just avoidance, 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 you know, all of social media, Netflix, a whole lot of it. It's like, no, 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 take the time to do the deep dive and then you realise, wow, 
you just learn so much. It's not easy. I totally agree. It's not easy, but it's so rewarding in all areas of your life. I would agree with you too, that even at a young age, so you probably don't know this about me, but I'm a pediatrician. And so I take care of of families and kids. And I would say that a lot of parents do a very poor job helping their children, even with any negative emotions, they just try to just make everything good and make them always happy. And I see kids that can't handle much of anything, right? (laughs) That even, you know, coming in and getting a shot, like some kids do great and their parents do great. And it's, and it's not always parent related, right? There are some kids that have more anxiety and more things, but a lot of times it is this, They just always, the parents always want to make everything good for the kid constantly that they don't know how to even handle a few minutes, uh, you know, a second of getting a vaccination in the arm of getting, you know, those are little things that they can't deal with because no one is teaching them how to, how to deal with any of the negative stuff. Yeah. If, if, if they had a bad experience at school, that kid's a bully. We need to get that kid in trouble. We need to, instead of maybe, I mean, not that you shouldn't try to help that other child too, but there is something about teaching resilience in your own kid that like you had this bad experience. Let's work on making, making you feel better again and going through what those negative emotions were like mm-hmm. instead of just that should never happen to you. Life yeah. should always be rainbows and, you know, unicorns. I I totally agree. And, you know, and that's probably why we end up with a society of adults who just can't cope. When things yeah. do, you know, they end up on the ground um, wondering how the hell can I get up from here because life's not going the way it's meant to be going. But what I've found, and I have to say, one of my daughter-in-laws, she's a really good mother. Like I, I look mm-hmm. at her and I go, wow. She, she talks, like she, she asks questions of, you know, my beautiful two-and-a-half-year-old grandson. Mm-hmm. So when he is going through, you know, whatever he's going through, you know, even having his little sister born a month ago, he's, he, he was ready because of the way that she asked uh-huh. questions and she talks to him like he's an adult. And I think that's a really good thing. In, and I know everyone go, what the hell? But she treats him like an adult and sure, she does, you know, lower it to his, obviously, sure. his capacity. But the fact that she treats him as a, as a, you know, not someone who's small and, you know, be quiet, all that sort of thing, it really does make a difference in the way he behaves. He He's really, really good. Well, and I think you're right in that show for example, I mean, I think a good example would be if you are a two and a half year old and you now have a brand new baby sister at home and the baby sister needs to be sleeping and you need to be quiet and that can get frustrating and kids can act out a little bit. But instead of saying, you need to, you need to be quiet. Your sister's trying to sleep. Just say, oh, I know it's really hard. I know this is hard for you to have to be quiet like this, but we're really going to have to work together and do it. So you acknowledged the negative thing and the negative emotion he had. You didn't tell him it was wrong to feel that way because that is, I think, a lot of what happens at a young age and then going up is that you have negative emotions and you tell yourself or other people tell you that that's wrong that you yes. shouldn't feel that way and yes. that you should only feel the positive and just push the negative away, feel mm. the positive. Instead of we have to acknowledge this, we have acknowledge the negative, acknowledge the pain. Yeah, and be validated. Accept the pain, work through the pain. You can grow through yes. it, right? Yeah. I mean, I've grown a lot through my pain. I totally agree. You, you will learn so much more from a negative situation than you ever will from a positive one from my experience and what I've found is there's always that lesson you know yeah. and and it you know as I said I was an accountant but since I've been on this you know second third act or whatever you want to call it of my life I've really started to deep dive into words and you break and I even break words down and they tell you how to live 
And lesson is one of the best words to break down because when you look for that lesson, it's less on you. Mm -hmm. Because you've deep dived in and you just find it and you just go, wow, which is why I've called my programs The Gift of Loss. Because when you start to deep dive into it and, you know, you start to realise that there is a gift there for you and it's the the gift is not in the actual event. Like there is no gift in no. me spining my son, you know, dead at, at our back door. There's no gift in that. But the gift is in who you become after uh-huh. that. Um, if you choose to. Like I've met right. people who, you know, 20 years ago one of their children had died and they couldn't even mention their name yeah and I'm like oh my god and it was like there was no photos of them anywhere there was there was nothing it was like the person never existed and I'm like oh my god like is that healthy is that good for you is it good for them there's no judgment it's just all those questions and questions and they read my what I think my second book which was which is uh, Beyond a Mother's Worst Nightmare, which at that stage, I think it was my four-year journey from Dan passing when I wrote that. And she read it and she said, oh, my God, you're right, you know, and she could see. And then she started being able to talk about them. And and finally she said, you know, most people were uncomfortable about it, but they were like, if this is what, you know, makes you feel better, yes, let's discuss this and all this sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's just interesting how everyone processes differently. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, I agree with you. And we have talked about this a lot, that unfortunately we as grieving people end up having to teach others so much because they just don't know. So I think that was a good point that you brought up, that she was like, other people got really uncomfortable, but once they knew that's what I needed... then they were more okay with it. I think that's very important, that point of you sometimes needing to assert yourself and saying, this is what I need, right? Mm -hmm. This, This is what I need. And don't, please don't back up and freak out and just panic and pull away because it really does help. So that's part of what this podcast tries to do is it tries to make it so it's less taboo, I think, to talk about grief. And that's exactly what it is. And what I have found is because of our lack of loss intelligence, no one knows what to say. No one wants to talk about it. No one wants to think about it. Any sort of loss, you know, whether it's, you know, a financial loss or a job loss, people are like, oh, I don't know, you'll be right. You'll find another job, you know, all this sort of stuff. (laughs) their loss, it'll be better for you in the long run, right? They're always wanting to to, to turn it over to get to the bright side. Yeah. <laughs> right? I even had someone at Dan's funeral say to me, you're lucky you have other children. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow. And at the time I just said, eh, sort of thing. Right. And, and it was just like, seriously? Like, and I understand that people are so uncomfortable I mean, don't you want to say back? Don't you want to say back? And which one of your children would you just give up? Yeah, exactly. Are we going to do Sophie's Choice here? Um, you know, sort of thing. You know, which, which one? This sort of thing. And it was, it, but, the, the, but the funny thing about it is I had, I had, I was working with a girlfriend then at that company and she's 20 years younger than me and she had one child and she only ever wanted one child. And at the funeral, I actually, she, you know, I said to her, this is why you have more than one child, child jazz. And she goes, I was actually thinking the same thing. Yeah. You know, I said, because, you know, here I am, I was in my early 50s. I said, it's not as though you can, you know, even contemplate it. Imagine if you only had one child and your child passes. And I said, you know, it doesn't matter whether you have five or ten. It's, it's devastating, you know, how many children yeah. you have. But at least I can you know, I'll become a grandmother and, you know, watch them get married and do all those sort of things. And sure, I want that for Dan. But the funny thing is, you know, and there's even photos in this book, Dan shows up at all of those majors events. He is in our photos. I have a photo in the book of we went to a wedding, I think it was in 2016, so five years after he passed. And it was a a wedding of a, a friend of my oldest son 
who grew up not far from where we were and we're at his wedding and there's a family photo of all of us, you know, my, my, my husband, my two kids, their girlfriends and the bride and groom and there's a tree behind us and Dan's face is on that tree. Oh, As wow. clear as anything. There's photos of Dan at his brother's wedding, at his twin brother's wedding. He shows up all the time. When we fight at when at his fifth um, angel anniversary, we were living in Sydney at the time. We now live on the Gold Coast, which is about a thousand kilometers north of Sydney. So we decided to hire a little boat and we released his ashes into Sydney Harbour, which I found out later we're not meant to do. But anyway, that's where he is. <laughs> Whoops. And my girlfriend, Jazz, actually the one who I was just talking about, the same, she took a photo of where we put the ashes into the water and she took a photo and a wave came back and his face is in that wave, in hmm. the water. And I don't know if you've ever, do you know Wayne Dyer? No. Well, he's a philosopher. He's an amazing philosopher. And he, when he passed, his ashes were released off Maui Beach and his face came back, his whole face came back in the water as well. And then here I am a couple of years later, the same thing exactly happened when Dan did it. And it's as clear as anything. I've got the photo in the book and it highlights it and it's just amazing. He keeps showing up in all of these photos so clearly and you just go, oh, wow, and you've got to love our cameras that we can deep dive into the photos, whereas before you just take a photo and that's it. But you can deep dive in and you can see him so clearly. He's quite clever the way that they do it to show up. Now that must be comforting to you. It's so comforting to know that even though they're not physically here, they are will always be emotionally and spiritually with you. They, they, they will never go. It's only the physical form that we've lost. And for people to understand that, to know that, you know, when you, you feel them, it's because they want you to feel them. So you've been using this term deep dive yep. um, into your emotions quite a bit. I want you to yeah. talk a little bit more about what you mean by that, by deep diving in. Yeah. So we feel something right and we go we dismiss it because it's uncomfortable it doesn't mm -hmm. feel good the, the more that you uh, journaling is a great way to do it and so is figuring out where it is in your body so our body talks to us where we feel things in our body will have a different thing so if you feel it in your heart you'll have a different I guess a different relationship or a different meaning to it than if you felt it in your gut or if you felt it in your voice or in your head so it's about deep diving into where you feel it in your body and then understanding it. And there's so many great books. I'm just looking at one on my bookshelf. It's called The Secret Language of Your Body. Mm -hmm. And say, for example, you feel sick, right? And this secret language of your body by Ina, I-N-N-A, Segal, S-E-G-A-L, it's like an extended version of Louise Hayes, um, You Can Heal Your Life. And it actually helps you to say, well, if you feel it here, there's emotions attached to it and there's a healing required around it. So through using that book and also through journaling saying, what does this mean? You know, what part of this that requires healing? Someone may say something to you and you feel it and you get angry with it and you, you know, get angry with that person and you take it out on that person. Whereas when you do a deep dive and you reverse it, you go, okay, why did that trigger me? What is it that's inside of me that requires healing? And why was I triggered by Fred saying it, where if this Alice had said the same thing to me, I wouldn't have been triggered. So it's that's what I mean by a deep dive is you actually, everything that happens to you happens for you, not to you. So if, and that's, that's what I just do. So when I feel Dan and if I'm sad, I will write down, you know, what is it that needs, what is it about this that makes me sad? Like why would I, you know, cry one day and not the other? What, what is it? Is he around more? Is my missing him? You know, it's been 10 years now since we've physically seen him. And, you know, the last thing I said to Dan on the afternoon before he passed was, Dan, will you move your car, please? I've got to go. I'm late for something. One of my last words to Dan. Oh. I know. 
And it was like, whereas it would have been, I'm not going anywhere. You're staying here. You're not going out. You sort of thing. So, it, but mm-hmm. it's, but I'm, I'm fine with that now because we were living, and no one knows. Like, we have, all, none of us have an expiry date on our birth certificate. None of us. We've all no. got the date set. We just don't know when it is, and that's the thing is, we don't live our lives like today may be our last day, mm-hmm. because eventually it will be our last day. And we all like to think we're all, you know, we'll live to 90 and pass peacefully in my sleep, which is the order that I've put in. Thank you very much. But, (laughs) you know, who knows? It's a, you know, what a perfect way to, um, to live and love your life. But, yeah, the more we move into our emotions, the more we can move them through. They do have a message for you. They have a healing for you. And your emotions are just a symptom. It's about getting to the crux of what the cause of that symptom is. And a lot of the time it goes all the way back to something that may have happened in childhood. It could have been a misunderstanding. Um, I, and, and I do so many healings and I, I even do a process with um, people. It's called a conscious alignment process, which does that deep dive, you know, through asking questions and taking a person back and I, and when I was learning it, I did it on myself. And I, I'm one of seven children. I'm the third eldest girl. There's six girls, and then the boy's the baby. And yes, he is the golden child, <laughs> sort of thing. But um, so when when there was just the six girls, we lived in a two bedroom house. So there was five in one bedroom, and the baby was in mum and dad's bedroom. Our dad was working out the back and my two older sisters were at school. I used to be his little helper and I I just loved it. You know, I was his little helper and the three little ones were in the house with mum and all this sort of stuff. And one day I made a mistake and he, he was angry at me. I caused him a couple of hours. He sent me inside and all this sort of stuff. And then the next day he sent me away. And every day he sent me away. And I was like, oh, I can't believe this sort of thing. I made one mistake and that's how dad is. And my dad and I never had a really close relationship. Falling pregnant at 16 probably never helped either. But that's (laughs) beside the point sort of thing. And then when I did this process, I went, oh, my God, he never sent me away. He sent me to school. It was just in my mind's eyes, my little, you know, four-and-a-half-year-old's eyes Mm -hmm. that I went, I made a mistake. He sent me away. He doesn't love me anymore. So I was like, oh, my God, when I had this realisation through doing this process, I went, oh, my God, Dad, I'm so sorry. He'd passed by then. It was like, oh, my God, all that time of never really being as close because I'd never healed that feeling. I'd never actually said to my dad, why did you send me away? Because I just right. accepted it. Because his answer would have been, well, you were old enough to go to school. You had to go to school. Yeah, I, I didn't send yeah. you away. I don't have to send you to school sort of thing. Right. But, right. But right. We all have little examples of that. We've just never deep dived into it. And, you know, some of the women that I've worked with or, and men, you know, through doing my Beyond Loss process, we, we end up, we do a chart of all the loss events in your life and then we decide which one we'll process first. And the ladies, you know, she thought she was coming to work through her pending divorce. And through doing the process, she said, I've, I, the first loss event I need to work through is that I never received the love from my mother that I desired and deserved. And she didn't protect me as much as what I I needed protection. And I now know through this process that that's what I've been seeking my whole life. And she's like 52. So, and so it's so many things come back to that. We think what we're dealing with is, is the real cause, but it's not, it's a symptom. So that's why I say the deep dive is so important. It's not easy, but it's so rewarding as we unravel all of this because we're complicated beings but we are here for lessons and we get them very very early on 
And one of the major loss events that I've found that every single person I've worked with is a loss of identity. It's mm-hmm. we start off, we come into this world so pure and so perfectly imperfect. Then as the growing process and then through work and through having partners, don't act like that. Don't do that. Don't be that. I don't like who you are when you're around that person. Get rid of this. We slowly, slowly, slowly lose who we are. And then we look in the mirror and sometimes we go, I don't even like who you are. You know, I think back to who I was in my corporate days. That wasn't me. Mm-hmm. And and the fo- there's a photos that I will show of, you know, my 2007 passport compared to my 2017 passport. And I look 20 years, I look 10 years younger in the later photo than I do in the other one because I was full of adrenaline, I was full of cortisol, my eyes look dead. It's because I had sold my soul for that role and for that salary. And I wasn't being me. I wasn't being authentically me. Because I, I remember early on in my career, don't do that, Karen. If you want to get ahead, people want, guys don't like it when women act like that, you know, and you just think mm-hmm. seriously. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's just such a shame. And that's what it is. I think it's more about, and I honestly think that what we're all experiencing in the world now is it is about helping us all to come back to who we are, to come back to love, to be more true to ourselves. And that's what I feel loss is all about. It's just helping you to, you know, put you back onto your path, your path, the one that you decided to be in this lifetime. Well, I think you really have something there with a loss of identity. And I know you're talking about, you know, overall through time and in the past. But I do have to say, when it comes to child loss, too, I miss Andy horribly. That's Mm -hmm. definitely true. But I found myself missing me. Yeah. And missing who I was and that person that I was, I felt like I had really lost my identity and I didn't, I didn't know who I was anymore. And a- anyway, I think that's a good thing to bring up because I, I do think that ends up being, if not as much as the loss of your child, but, but yeah. right behind it really is that, that loss of self. Who am I now? Yeah. But who am I? You know, so many people through divorce, they actually go, I don't even know who I am without this person. And you're going, but wait on, you are an individual. You're the only person you're going to spend your entire life with. There's no one else you spend 24-7 with. So how have you lost you? And now maybe this is the best thing that can happen for you. And I know divorce is is horrible and the whole thing, but, but isn't it maybe about you finding you and then, living your life not the life of you know all these different hats that we leave we wear Mm -hmm. in one day you know mother partner sister you know daughter or whatever we get so lost in those roles that we do lose us and I can remember very early on I think it was probably around 2012 he was listening to this amazing thing and they said that if you feel you are missing something in your life, maybe that something is you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know that I had a revelation, really. It was probably about 14 months or so after Andy died that because I was having that crisis, I didn't know who I was anymore. I wasn't working, I, you know, so I wasn't a pediatrician. I had been this mother of, of I mean, I was still a mother, but I felt like I was a cruddy mother of this just broken mother. I didn't feel like I was a good wife anymore. I didn't, I just felt like every role that I had, I either I wasn't doing because I wasn't working or I couldn't do right. Like I can't even, like I was a pretty good cook and I felt like I can't cook right. I can't take, just a lot of things. And I did have to step back really and try to reevaluate myself and re-examine myself and like, who am I? Who am yes. I? And that's when I just, and I've said this on the podcast many times, so people are probably sick of me saying it, but I really felt I'm a caregiver. I yeah. like to care for other people. And so that's what the idea of kind of doing the podcast and moving forward the podcast. And then I was able to go back to pediatrics. I was able to do more things, but really it was only after 
I had like defined myself, really redefined myself and not in ver- those specific terms. I am a pediatrician. I am the, the mother of three biological children and one foster yeah. son. I am or like, yeah, I not doing all of those things, but putting it back to, but who am I? I like to care for people. How yeah. can I best care for people? And how can I have Andy in my life to help me do that? So mm-hmm. that's what, what led to kind of where I am now and what I'm doing now. But it was going back to that. So I feel like that is something that I think that must be what you do with your deep dive a little bit is to try to redefine who you are at your core a little bit. And yeah. then that, what roles you can take to help you with that. Totally, totally. And I think that is why we are all here to figure out who am I? Mm -hmm. And most people never, ever ask themselves that question. You know, my daughter, as, as I said, she's 48 and she's been in my life for 20 years and it's been a very volatile up and down relationship, long periods of not talking to each other, misunderstandings, a whole lot of stuff, which you can understand. Um, But what and I kept saying to her, I'm so glad you're nearly 50. I'm so glad you're nearly 50. And she's going, I'm not happy about being nearly 50 because she's just turned 48. And I'm going, No, 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 you don't. That's understand. so funny. That's the same age as me, actually. So you're 48. 48. <laughs> yeah. 1973, was it? Yes, 1973, October. <laughs> yeah. So, so she's so you're a couple of months older than her. So, um, exactly. So, and, and she's like, I'm not happy about it. I'm going, No, no, no. Something seems to happen to women, especially as they get to that 50-year sort of mark. They start to, whether it's because they're becoming empty nesters or whether it's they start to actually go inside and they start to go, well, who am I? Who do I want to be? Why am I here? What's my purpose? You know, and, and what's it all about? There has to be more to it than this. I can remember when I was growing up, it was like, because I was, you know, I was born in 57. So it was very much grow up, get married, have kids, and my parents could go tick. We've done that, you know, we've got that out of, you know, five out of six kids and seven out of seven and all this sort of stuff. I got to 24 and I'm like, right, I've done it all. I'm married. I have a child. I've done everything I was meant to do. Surely there must be more to it than this, you know, sort of thing. And that's the thing is... We, we don't know, you know, we don't take the time to sit down and go, what does success mean to me? Uh, we take on other people's definition of success and then we wonder why it doesn't work for ourselves. And the same thing happens if we try to do a, a cooker-cutty approach to loss, as mm-hmm. in give it time, just do this, everything will be all right. And there is no such thing. Everyone is an individual and everyone will process things completely different and there's no right way, there's no wrong way, there's just your way and honouring it to be your way and having the courage to say, all I need is for someone to listen to me, not Mm -hmm. to give me their opinion, not to tell me that I should be doing this or I should be doing that. I just want someone to listen to me, like really listen to me. They don't even have to comment just to be there, just to hear me. And I think that's why animals, especially dogs, are the best gift you could probably give anyone who is grieving because that's exactly what they do. They are that silent listener and, you know, they're good company and they welcome you and they they do everything without forcing your opinion onto them and it's, you know, them onto you. And that's what I feel is when we have a world and I feel we are moving towards it, where we can honour people for being who they are without trying to change them or to fix them. And that's why I feel the deep dive is so, so important because most of us don't even know who we are. Mm -hmm. And it's only through doing that deep dive. And I have one of my spiritual teachers that she actually says, you are the master you are seeking. Take the time to seek who you are. Well, thank you so much, Karen, for being on the Always Andy's Mom podcast today. I have really uh, valued your conversation. Thank you. Thank you. I've really valued being here and good on you for honoring yourself and Andy in the way that you are.
Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.